Hello, 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 and welcome back to your favorite podcast, the IBS Freedom Podcast. We know you love us, but I will introduce Amy Hollenkamp, R to the D, first, my beautiful co-host, and my very pregnant co-host. By the time this episode airs, she might even have a baby, people. How cool is that? Oh, Lord. That's kind of scary, right. but... Isn't that also, bizarre? It's so weird. I, I, I don't know. Growing a human just... It brings up so many weird, like, emotions and feelings all in one. Um, most of them good, but yeah, it's... it's but sometimes um, bizarre. Right. What body part do you think you're growing today? Which one are you focusing on? Well, I've, I have that app, which it's funny. My doctors are like, the, the, that app is kind of dumb. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but like, they, they did say there's like wrinkles forming in the brain at this point. Um, so the brain might be developing. It's strange. She's I'm like massaging CC's brain. Right. It. Right. It's weird. I, I am feeling too like, definitely a little bit more of an urge to pee more often like it's definitely really ramping up at this point and it's always been an increase just because you're the the volume of your blood so much higher so you have to pee like throughout your whole pregnancy but i think now it's like they're it's getting tighter and tighter in the abdomen for things to function optimally and so there's that kind of thing. And I actually think she's kind of moving down, like she's actually getting mm. into the good position. I I feel like that's kind of happening she's too, which, which might be like putting a little bit more pressure like down on the pelvic floor area. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, well, it's there's hark- a lot going on in there. To harken back to a previous episode, I hope your puckering strings <laughs> cope well. <laughs> My mom still blames me for, quote, sitting on her bladder during oh the pregnancy. Gosh. And she still says she has weak puckering strings because of me. And I'm well, almost 36. So I'm you sure can hold the, that over your kid's head for a long time. The bladder, like, I just feel like that's kind of the pillow of the abdomen. So can she really blame you? Yeah, right? Like, why wouldn't I snuggle up with that big old pillow? Right. Right. Okay, this has taken a very odd turn as an intro, right? but you know, it's it's the obvious freedom podcast, people. You should be used to this by now. As we as we hone in on episode one hundred, that elusive Ooh. triple digit. I know. I know. Where are we That's at a topic now? for another day though. I honestly forget. I think this one's gonna be ninety one. Okay. But I can't swear to maybe ninety two, but it's somewhere in the early nineties, I think. But anyway. Topic for the day. As always, people read it. They know it. But we're we're coming for you, vegans. We're coming for you today. No, just kidding. I, I actually, I want to, um, I want to borrow a quote kind of from a resource that I've really liked. Hold on. Um, are you familiar? I'm sure you are. But are you familiar with the Raw Food SOS site, the Denise Minger stuff? I am. She's like, where is she gone? I have no idea, honestly, but I always loved this part of her website. So her website was rawfoodsos.com. And now it just redirects to a different URL, but it's the same site. But there's a tab that says for vegans. And it starts out, it says for vegans. I promise this page isn't scary or mean. Oh my God. (laughs) And I just, I always loved that as the starting point, because I do think, honestly, if we're being truthful, 
probably our vegan listeners are going to intentionally avoid this episode because they're going to be like, all right, I know the crap you're going to say. You're going to, you're going to lecture us about protein and iron and I don't want to hear it. And I hope that I'm incorrect saying that. I hope that our vegan and vegetarian listeners do listen to this episode because it's not intended to be scary or mean, just truthful. And we're going to share our perspective, having worked with vegetarians and vegans. And again, like I'm a veteran, I was a vegetarian for 11 years of my life. And I rolled my eyes hard at the protein comment every time I heard that from family and friends and coaches. I rolled my eyes and I just thought, they don't get it. I eat healthy. I'm fine. And, you know, looking back now, I'll, I'll share the perspective now years later, but I look back and I'm like, oh, that was all from a place of ego. And I... I just assumed that I was eating healthy and therefore I was fine. But I can guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt in my mind now, I was undershooting on protein and iron and probably other nutrients for a very long time. And had I like been open-minded enough to kind of look into that or entertain the thought of doing some nutrition tracking, I might have discovered that and that might have impacted my health positively. But for 11 years, people would tell me, are you getting enough protein? I worry about your protein. And I would just roll my eyes and I'd be like, yeah, whatever, mom, I'm fine. I'm getting plenty right. of protein. I eat nuts. Leave me alone. So I've been there. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like it becomes a bit like any sort of diet that you can follow. There can be a lot of dogma. And there can mm-hmm. be different reasons of why someone does it. Again, there's some people that are doing it for moral or religious type reasons, Um, and then again, like, I also think there's this trend where certain, um, health and wellness practitioners are promoting more of a vegan style diet or more Mm plant-based diet for gut issues, Mm -hmm. um, as kind of the optimal diet. And, you know, I think, I think for my end, just having worked with vegetarian and vegans, I definitely think there's, there's a lot of challenges there especially from a nutrient standpoint again like to be annoying (laughs) but like um the more you cut out i mean with any sort of diet the more different foods you're cutting out the more potential for nutrient deficiencies and and that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you can't do a vegan diet and get what you need but usually again it requires supplementing certain things it requires being super super diligent about stuff um and a lot Right. And a lot of of the vegans and vegetarians that I've worked with haven't necessarily like been able to optimize in that way. Because again, like it's it's hard and it almost Mm -hmm. becomes like a a job um, to manage it if you haven't really been coached around if you wanted to be vegetarian, vegan, how to how to manage that properly. Now, I think, again, like for people that don't necessarily have a moral or religious reason to be vegan and vegan or vegetarian but are doing it specifically for like optimizing their gut Mm. um i would it's not that eating plants and eating all these things aren't amazingly healthy um Mm. but you still want to ensure that you're optimizing your nutrition too and that again becomes more challenging so again for people that want to do vegetarian and vegan for moral 
uh, religious reasons, I think it can be done. You would just need, I think everyone that's going vegetarian vegan should work with someone closely on diet to ensure they're getting enough nutrition. And then for the people that are kind of more doing the vegetarian vegan style diets specifically because they're hoping like it'll reach a certain health outcome or, um, you know, help with their gut in general, I might advise them still to include some animal products. They could mm-hmm. still get the the benefit of eating a ton of plants and fibers and things like that that are that are great on a vegan or vegetarian diet without sacrificing some really, really key elements of nutrition and making it harder on themselves than it needs to be. Yeah. And that's a really good way to put it. I think making it harder than it needs to be. And I like that you're making the point that it basically comes a full-time job to worry about nutrition and think about nutrition to that degree. And granted, you could do that with other diets. Like I, I have a student in FODMAP Freedom right now who is very like food theory and, you know, she was telling me, um, I, I'm going to preface this by saying I abuse myself with my own sense of humor. So I, I got a chuckle off of this. She did too. But, you know, in one of the Q&As, she was talking about how everything she eats is organic and grass-fed mm-hmm. and local and sprouted and she sprouts all her grains and she sprouts all her nuts and she soaks all her leaves and everything is nutrient-dense, this and that. And she was she was talking about her nutrition, but in another breath, like she joined FODMAP Freedom because she wants to diversify her diet and she wants her gut to feel better, right? So she's like in this kind of spiral with the food fear, food shame mm-hmm. kind of patterning, like the orthorexic patterning. Right. But then she also wants to heal her gut and like the two are not jiving together. And I literally told her on a Q&A, I think this was like two weeks ago, as of the recording of this episode, I said... What would you say if I said one of my goals for you is to be able to eat Doritos? And she was like, oh, oh, God. I was like, you can choose not to. But like, I feel like it it was a good thought experiment to even pose that idea to her because she was so deeply horrified. But I really think that nutrition is is about like being able to live your life. And if you find that your healthy eating, quote unquote, is getting in the way of living your life, then like, what's the point? Who cares if you live 10 years longer, if you're absolutely miserable and crippled with food fear and anxiety for the rest of your life? I would rather live to be 80 and have a good relationship with food rather than live to be 100 and have food fear and have a terrible relationship with my food and obsess over the health of my food. Personally, like that's just how I think it it ends up working out. So it's like, what are you striving for? Like, do you want to feel, do you want to live like a normal life and feel good and feel happy? Or I don't like, what is your goal? You know? Yeah. And I would even argue too, like, I think a lot of the longevity studies, like I, if I remember right, one of them that I saw, like the top the number one top indicator of how long you live is your relationships. So like mm. how connected are you? Like do you have good relationships with people? Um, and again, like to me, even taking like even from a longevity standpoint, you could be doing everything right dietarily mm-hmm. to to push the needle. But if other factors of health aren't in place, yeah. you still might, um, you know, succumb to death if that's your 
this is getting into a morbid. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Like- it's, it's like not a happy part of the podcast right now. But realistically, I'll pose even a more grim right. one just to take this to an unrealistic oh, wow. level. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have a clean, perfect, organic, pristine diet and get hit by a bus and die tomorrow. Right, right, right. What was it for? Like, if you if you die, and you were miserable and unhappy and not well, and you sacrificed relationships, and you sacrificed your your well being, what does it all mean if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? Like, we all have to have like that little teeny, tiny, like one brain cell that says, hey, today could be the day I'd better make the most of my life right now. So And it's not to say, like, eat Twinkies every day because they're delicious and the bus might hit you tomorrow. Like, that's not the point of this. But there's there's balance, right? Like, there's extremes on both ends. Don't eat Dr. Pepper and Twinkies for every meal of every day. Don't don't get into the orthorexic, obsessive, clean eating kind of stuff at, at the cost of sacrificing your life. Like, meet somewhere in the middle, people. Right. Like, especially, again, like, I think that the orthorexic style eating prevents you from connection because like you won't mm-hmm. go to restaurants if it's not organic or yeah. perfect or yeah. how however you want it to be so yeah and i oh. i although go. sorry can i t- i i interrupt you like five times every episode go i feel ahead, like so ahead. sorry just as a blanket statement i'm sorry that i do that but apparently i'm not going to change it um I will say, too, this might be part of the difficulty of getting people to change their diet sometimes is that on the flip side, you might alienate your existing friends and family and coworkers from your life because you're too picky to go out to restaurants or go to a wedding. But I do think that these diets, especially like the more stringent ones, it's it you feel like you belong to a club. Right. Mm. So like, I still remember, like, when I was a vegetarian, if I went to like a barbecue, or a cookout, and I brought my own veggie burger, and I met another vegetarian, who brought their own veggie burger, we were like, instant friends, right? Like, oh, we have this commonality, holy crap, like, we're gonna be BFFs. And similarly, like, there are meetup groups, and Facebook groups, and Instagram celebrities that you can follow, and TikTokers, and you can you could get to this place where you feel like you're part of the club, you feel like you're part of the group, and it can feel like giving up a part of your identity or your entire identity if you decide to go a different direction with your nutrition because your acceptance and your love and this this social network was built upon you doing this diet. So that can be, it could be a way for you to gain connections and friendships and meet new people. Like if you go to meetups, for example, that are like vegan meetups, it can be good for that. But again, it's a slippery slope because then it entrenches you in the dogma that much more. And it makes it that much more difficult to make choices that would go against that. You know, it's like if you're in a cult, making a decision that goes against the cult becomes increasingly difficult the deeper you get into the cult. Right. So. Right. It's like, again, it it becomes very dogmatic at times. And sometimes, again, you're getting indicators that this isn't a great diet for you. (laughs) Like if you're struggling with really low iron or really low B12 or really low protein or whatever, like and really struggling to get that up. um, But you're still maybe sticking to this even when you don't really have to. Mm -hmm. Um. 
Yeah, I do think that the dogma piece of it gets gets intense. And and let me ask you this, because I would say of the people that come to me, um, especially the ones that are doing like plant-based or vegan specifically for gut health, the mm-hmm. two main people that I generally see them following are the fiber-fueled guy. Okay. Um, he's the GI doc. I, I can never pronounce yeah. his name. But the guy that wrote- I know he's in Charleston, though. He's not all that far from where I am, actually. Yeah, I, I thought he was in the South. Okay, so he's the guy that wrote Fiber Fueled. And I will say, like, what I've heard, and I haven't necessarily, like, deep dove into that book. Um, but with that book, he sort of says that he eats vegan himself, or at least this is, like, what I have learned from clients who have read it and told mm-hmm. me about it. But he mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily, like, really strongly push it. Like, he still says, oh, if you want to eat some meat, that's fine. Or whatever. You, yeah. you know, it's, he's it's not, like, like, super done. like a BTW. Right. Like, I think he he somewhat promotes it, but not, like, super intensely. Like, he's not pressuring you in any way to, to do it. But, like, that's yeah. kind of, like, what he promotes somewhat in his book. And then the medical medium is the other yes. big one that has been around forever that's a little bit more yeah. uh, on the vegan side of the spectrum so like those are the two i Very hear much. often um and i think the the fiber fueled guy like aligns with us in a lot of ways just mm-hmm. you know with trying to diversify the diet mm-hmm. being really important for gut health like we have a lot of things in common with him um and i think like probably you know if the goal is fiber in the microbiome I don't want people to lose sight of, like, you can get so into the idea of, like, okay, I just need to focus on fiber in in everything that could feed different microbes in the microbiome, but then lose sight of nutrition. So I think, like, sometimes yeah. when I hear, like, the, oh, the, fi- the vegans and vegetarians is optimal for gut health... Um, because it's like so rich in fibers and things like that. But there, but I think a lot of people that might be in that, those camps are not necessarily looking at nutrition as a whole. Like that gets a little bit lost in the sauce. Um, mm. because maybe again, they're, they're just focused on the, the fiber piece and all the good things that, mm. that comes with fiber. Um, that and like. Fiber's great. Right, right? exactly. Like, we're totally not saying that fiber's bad. It's just you can eat an adequate, amount of fiber and you can hit that mark and also eat some animal protein. Right. That's right. the thing. Like you don't need to exclude animal protein to get the gut health benefits of, you know, plant-based eating. And that that this is kind of like a pet peeve or a tangent that I want to go on to. Um, I've been saying for a while, I remember I did a blog post or a series of posts uh, years ago. I think that there's like a right way and a wrong way to do a lot of diets. Mm, and, yeah. you know, you can do paleo and you eat almond flour muffins, <laughs> almond flour scones, right. almond flour cookies, almond flour everything, and everything is wrapped in bacon, and you have a steak every meal. It's paleo, right? By, like, the common kind of definition of paleo, but is it healthy? No. Like, so there's there's always, within any diet, there's a... a better and a best way to do any diet. Same thing with FODMAP. You can do a low FODMAP diet and only eat lettuce. That's it. It's low FODMAP. But like, is that a healthy thing to do? No, (laughs) there's a better way. So similarly with with vegetarian and vegan diets, like 
you, and I still remember this, I think it was, oh God, it was one of those Netflix documentaries back in the day. Like Fork like Over Knives or whatever. Yeah, it was either Forks Over Knives or something in that kind of like time frame. But there was one where uh, there was like a health coach or just like a chick who was a vegan herself. And I think she was just a chick. And she, they took three randos who all had various health problems. And she basically like taught them how to be vegan for like 30 days. And they did like pre and post blood work. I think Dr. Furman was in it. Mm -hmm. And I still remember like right off the get go, she's giving them like a grocery tour. And she was showing the one girl like, oh, Teddy Grahams are actually vegan. And like the, the like crappy canned frosting stuff, like the, you know, neon Pepto-Bismol pink frosting. That's vegan, believe it or not. There's no dairy in that. So the girl was eating like Teddy Grahams dipped in frosting on the regular. And it's like, uh, I appreciate that she like showed them, hey, you it can still be enjoyable. You can still have treats and still right. be vegan. But I feel like right out the gate, I don't know if that was the best thing to show people. Because like you could be vegan and eat Teddy Graves frosting for every meal. Or you can be a vegan and eat like a really wide diversity of foods and you could you could and make sure that you get enough protein. So I think that just because you're a vegetarian or a vegan, it doesn't mean you're eating a healthy diet. And that was one of the kind of pitfalls that I fell into. I automatically assumed that because I was a vegetarian, I must be eating a healthy diet because I was, I was vegetarian. Like, how could I not be healthy? And looking back, that was not necessarily the case. Like I definitely had room for improvement. So Mm. I I forget what sparked that tangent, but thank you for letting me go on it. Well, and I, and I think like the, the um i think there's with my clients too like the SIBO and IBS crowd because a lot of the sometimes a lot of the protein sources have been cut out too whether you're vegetarian or vegan like if dairy's cut out or mm-hmm. eggs are cut out or beans are cut out mm-hmm. lentils are cut out nuts and like, like some people are Cashews. nuts and seeds and then it's like oh man like there's literally nothing we can add in to supplement protein or like it's going to be really challenging and like it you would have to be really supplementing powders and things like that which might not necessarily be the most optimal like multiple times a day i'm fine with maybe doing a little bit of protein powder at some point in the day but like it shouldn't be the thing that you're relying on for protein um you could kind of supplement a little bit but yeah I've, i've worked with a bunch of vegetarians where or and even in vegans vegetarians where it, it becomes very hard i think because like beans could be such a good staple um mm. that could build up protein a little bit i mean and that's still something that doesn't necessarily have the the bioavailability of the amino acids as meat um mm-hmm. i i'm trying to remember the term and now i can't off the top of my head um oh this is bad as a dietitian but there's some sort of Shame. like uh there's a a term and it's basically again like it it ranks the bioavailability of different protein sources mm-hmm. i forget what it's what it's called but um you know 
you might not be able to use the amino acids as efficiently yeah. from things like plant sources as you can from animal sources. And that doesn't mean that you can't yeah. make it work. It just, again, like it creates a little bit more of a challenge. Um, well, and it and- kind of makes you think, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, piggybacking off of our last episode, where we were saying, like, most people need ballpark about 100 grams of protein if they want to heal stuff. Thinking about, like, if the protein that you're taking in is not as bioavailable, like, it's not Mm -hmm. as digestible and absorbable and usable for the human body, maybe we should even be shooting higher for vegetarians and vegans. Like, maybe their bare minimum for healing needs to be, like, 110 to kind of make up for the fact that it's not as bioavailable and that's going to be even harder for them to achieve. And I'll say too, like I've um, maybe like twice a year, I kind of go on this kick. So I've been tracking my data with chronometer again and, you know, thinking about like, Oh, I need to get some blood work done, but I wonder, I wonder how the the old iron's doing. And I wonder how, how things are looking. And lo and behold, I eat meat. Like it, we probably, I would say I eat meat once a day and probably three or four days a week. I have one meal that's like eggs. Um, and then like breakfast is one, one of the other meals tends to be more plant-based for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I eat meat, I eat red meat and I have yet to hit a hundred percent on my iron once. Right. Right. Even once, which yeah. is absurd. But like I, so yesterday we had burgers for dinner and I only got 82% of the recommended daily value for iron. And I had a burger, people. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Day before that, I'm just going to run through. So my, I think that was my highest number so far in the week or so that I've been tracking, 82%, 55, 73, 55, 95. Ooh, that was a good day. 76, 73, 80. Those are all of my percentages of iron that I've, I've like gotten in my diet. And again, may I reiterate, I eat meat. So it's pretty mind boggling. But if you think like, if I'm having a hard time hitting these numbers, and likewise, protein, I was curious about after we talked about it so much. And on days that I was really, really mindful of the protein thing, like I had a third egg instead of just two, or I had collagen protein powder in my oatmeal to kind of supplement a little bit. I'm able to hit 100 grams of protein a day if I'm mindful of it. But on the days that I wasn't mindful of it, I was getting closer to 70 or 80. Right. And like, I'm not under eating and I'm not indulging in like a whole ton of processed crap. But if you think of, for me, I only exclude two foods from my diet, gluten and dairy. Everything else is open game for me. I eat meat, I eat whatever. And I have a diverse enough diet and background nutritional knowledge, and I'm still struggling to hit these metrics to the degree that I am. Like, I can't imagine, like, what some of the numbers might look like for somebody who's eating plant-based and isn't being super duper ultra mindful of these numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like, it's so interesting when you go down this rabbit hole because I mean, obviously the protein, the irons are the obvious ones, but mm-hmm. then you can kind of go down the long list of things that are just much harder to get in a plant-based diet. And again, you probably would need to supplement some of these mm-hmm. in particular. Um, 
things like omega threes um, yeah. are harder. Zinc's another really hard one. Um, B12. Not that it can't B twelve. Not that it can't be done. Um, but again, B twelve. Some of the fat soluble nutrients, especially again, mm. like if you have some of the weird SNPs, like for vitamin yeah. A. Um, yeah. Um, I think again, like th- those are all big ones. Sometimes iodine. I mean, you can get that from kelp mm. and things like that. But like, there's so many different nutrients that can start to become depleted. And again, I yeah. just think the more limited your diet is, the more the risk is of depletion. And it's like, again, if there is a big moral, if you have values that align with a vegetarian vegan diet that, that you know, make it really worth doing that, mm-hmm. then like more power to you do it, but make sure you're doing it right. If you don't have those like values, you might want to find a, a good middle ground for you where... Um, yeah you figure out kind of the right balance nutritionally and and still maybe have principles of some of the plant-based diet templates again like getting mm-hmm. in a fiber getting a bunch of different plants in like we're all pro that absolutely um, but again the, to me the more diverse you can eat the more nutrient replete you're going to be across the mm-hmm. board and yeah. um again it it just it becomes much more of a challenge. I would say just generally across the board, I've had less success with vegan and vegetarian clients. Oh, I would um, agree with that. Just because, again, I, I think there's underlying nutritional issues that might take a considerable amount of time to, to remedy. And sometimes, again, yeah. we can't even get there if like, there's no potential way we can get the protein up while on yeah. a, a vegan diet. Um. So yeah, I I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential challenges there, um, from a from a nutrition related standpoint, and it's just hard to to overcome them. And I think we can all still learn from some of the advocates in the vegan space about like again that fiber fuel book. I think in general I agree with most of what's in it from what I've heard. I haven't deep dove into it, but um, you know. It's funny too. I, I will say I, God love my doctor at uh for my ba- my baby doctor or whatever, the guy know. Um, she actually gave me a book because she was like, I never know what to tell people when they ask me about nutrition when they're pregnant. Kind of knowing her limitations, like I just like yeah. we weren't taught really. I mean, outside of like take a prenatal. Um, yeah. So she was. She asked me to to read this book. Um. And I forget what it was called, um, but it was written by a doctor, and she was saying, uh-huh. like, oh, I don't know if this doctor is going to be good or not. I'm just, like, curious your thoughts on this book. So I read it, and again, the doctor is more plant-based. And I'm like, ah, like, during pregnancy, I don't think would be the one time, like, and it was kind of written for the general population. And she wasn't overly pushy about it, but most of her recommendations were plant-based sources, yeah. Um. In in like B twelve. Oh, you can get B twelve from these plant based sources, or you can get like it. It was sort of slanted more plant based. Um. Yeah. And I think again, like if you're certainly plant based already and you want to stick with that during pregnancy, that's amazing. But I think sometimes it's um 
again, it would make me super nervous for someone to go plant-based during pregnancy. I was a little bit like, whoa, just like as a dietitian, yeah. like, I don't know if this is the best time to experiment with going plant-based without having any guidance beyond this yeah. random book. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> testing too. Like if you're trying a new diet, it's probably worthwhile checking in on a couple of markers, like right. checking your right. iron twice a year, just, you know, checking your B12, just making sure that you're, you have enough like in your nutrition tracking and then making sure that you have enough in your blood work to kind of like double check that or confirm that. But I, I know like I'm much more reluctant to draw a whole ton of blood in pregnant women because you need the blood. So right. pregnancy isn't the best time of your life to get a whole boatload of blood work done and confirm or deny the presence of nutritional deficiencies. So right. yeah, I, I agree. It's not the time to experiment necessarily, not with something that restrictive. If you right. want to experiment with like a new recipe or right. something, you know, like that. Or like, like a day, fine. like if you're going to go plant-based for a day or something like yeah. that. But yeah, I... Or again, like I, have um, one plant-based meal a day. Like I said, like right. I probably eat meat or eggs once or twice a day, usually. Right. And then one or two of my meals tend to be pretty plant-based. Like right. you can have plant-based meals. Right. I, again, I, I think... um you know, it to me, there's just such a good middle ground between all these weird diet dogmas that have been popping up throughout yeah. time, you know, from the paleo space where they're eating, you know, a plate of bacon, but scared of half of a banana. And then yeah. like from Keto. the vegan from the vegan space, again, thinking that that's the most optimal for health and, you know, keto, like what you're saying. I, I mean, yeah. the low FODMAP. Again, there's so many just different, like, random diets. And I think, you know, there's elements that are great about kind of the different communities there. But I just, mm -hmm. again, to me, the core of it is you have to be able to get nutrition for your body to function optimally in general. And yeah. again, f we've talked about this so much in within the gut health space. Like if you're not nourished from a macro micro standpoint, it's going to be really hard to push the needle. And again, anytime you're kind of in these diet dogmas, it can lead to a much harder ability to be nourished. And yeah. that's where you start to run into problems. And I like that you bring up blood work because... Um, with a lot of my vegetarian vegan clients, like I think it becomes very imperative to make sure your um, certain markers look pretty good um, on yeah. blood work. Um, well, I so, think yeah. A, for the sake of just making sure that you're really healthy, but B, I find at least that when we could do like nutrition tracking, like with chronometer and when we can do blood work, it it takes away the idea that this is my opinion that I'm forcing on you mm, and right. I am right and you are wrong. And it's like, no, man, look, your ferritin is 12. We got to change this. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the objective testing. I'll never forget. There's a guy that I worked with for a while and to, he, he's a ve uh, vegan. And to be quite honest, we worked together for many months and he made precious, zero progress. <laughs> right. And I think I think one of the reasons was because of his diet. I think there were other confounding variables as well. But I remember at some point, I was just like, all right, dude, look, like, I know you're not going to want to hear this. But like, 
you're so desperate to feel better. You're so desperate to heal. And we've tried all the things. Why don't we have you do a trial run of like three months of like a paleo Mediterranean hybrid, right? right? So like less grains than the standard American kind of thing, but like, but still incorporating some whole grains and like some seafood and eggs and a little bit of meat and like kind of marrying the two together somewhere in the middle where it's just, it's diversity. You're getting a little bit of everything and let's have you transition to this template for three months and see how you're feeling. And I remember, um, so I, I ended up messaging him some of the information in a portal message and he got back to me and he was like, well, I'm willing to eat fish. He might've said eggs as well. He said, I, I'm willing to eat fish and eggs and do this for three months. Is that good enough? Or, or is, is that good enough for you? But it was, it, it came off very much as like, okay, I will do what you want me to. Right. Like, I'll comply with your demands for a couple of months. Is this good enough? Like, I'll meet you halfway. And I just messaged back. I was like, well, we'll see. Right? right? Like, we'll see. It's not, it's not me saying, like, everybody needs to eat a steak every day. It's like, I think that this is not adequate nutritionally for you. So, you know, if you want to start out with two or three months doing this version of it, Let's start there, but I'm going to ask you to be open-minded to eating real actual meat and doing it the way I'm I'm prescribing it if that does not work for you. And I haven't heard back from him yet. It's kind of right on the cusp of when I when we were going to follow up on that, but you know, it's like this isn't me saying you need to eat like me. Ha ha ha. It's like I don't think you're nourished. <laughs> so Let's see if you feel better. Let's see if your lab markers change. And then we can determine if it's good enough. But good enough isn't going to come from my brain. It's going to come from right. like your body and your lab results. So objective yeah. testing can help kind of temper that a bit. And and I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I do think the longer you've been down a certain dogma or way of thinking. And again, we're all like this because it, it becomes like ego, like what you're saying, where it's yeah, like, okay, I've ego. been, I've been low FODMAP for five years and you're telling me this doesn't work. What? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or like I've been um, vegan for five years. And, and I do think it's just really important to make sure that you're, you're actually honing into your body again, because these dogmas yeah. sort of prevent you from listening into what your body's saying. Most of the time when I work with people and they've been on flow FODMAP for five years and they're, um, they're, they're really wanting to add foods in, but there's still a level of fear. And I always have to kind of remind them like low FODMAP did not really provide much benefit for you and you've been on it for five years it's time to switch things up and I Mm -hmm. think it always reminds me of like back when I was in my business classes um, in undergrad and even in grad school there was something in economics called opportunity cost and Mm -hmm. I still remember randomly this one lecture where um, you know our professor was talking about the scenario of Let's say you work at a college and you're building this new building and um, basically you realize that something isn't up to code for this new building and it's going to cost more money 
to mm-hmm. repair what you messed up in the building than to just tear it down and start from scratch. And so he says again, like, and I, I believe this because I've seen it a lot with these diets, like, more people will spend more money because, again, like, yeah. they just have gone down that rabbit hole of, like, this is what we're going to do. They'll fix I've a problem. I've done it for this long. Right. They'll fix a problem that might cost them more or they'll, they'll try to fix a problem that'll yeah. cost them more instead of just, like, scratching the whole thing and starting anew. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you see that a lot with diets, too. But, like, I think, again, like, it happens all over the place where we get, like, wrapped up and we have to do it this way when it might not, when when you might have to scratch the whole process and try something new. Yeah. Well, going back to the idea of ego, I think also human beings don't like admitting that they were wrong. Right. And if you think about it with nutrition, let's say a person was a vegan for five years And then they hear, hey, I don't think that diet is suiting you. That's part of why you're stuck. Mm. It's kind of like saying you were not only wrong, but you were wrong every day for five years. So what is 365 times five? I don't even know. Like you were wrong for 1500 days in a row. (laughs) Right. Like, wow, that is a really hard pill to swallow. And People don't like admitting that they're wrong even once, let alone 1,500 times in a row or 1,600, whatever it boils out to be. And and again, there's that element of like, my identity is wrapped up in this diet. And again, like I'm going to reiterate, this happens with the other ones too. Like right. you, you see the people who are paleo and they start a blog and they start a Pinterest board and they go to the meetups and they're the paleo person. And then transitioning off of that is like ripping away part of their identity. It's like ripping off their left arm. And keto, God knows keto does this too. Like, oh, you're like with your cronies. And and I'll provide at least one example going the opposite direction from the rest of this podcast. I think I shared a little bit about this woman previously, but I was working with a lady. She had like some IBS stuff, some histamine stuff, some hormone stuff, and she wanted to lose weight. That was her primary thing. And she was doing keto, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And she would do keto, her her kind of version of keto. And she would do that like really strictly for like a week or two. And then she would completely fall off the wagon for like a week or two. And she would cycle on and off. And <sighs> And this was the gal that I shared once before was eating like two pounds of cheese every day. It was, it was nuts. Like that was her version of keto. And um, she had high cholesterol and we looked into it and it was the bad kind of cholesterol. Like it was not the friendly kind. We confirmed it with like advanced lipid testing and she was pre-diabetic and had, had still had the weight that she wanted to lose. And it comes out months and months into working with her that, she, well, I think she had shared it with me and then kind of belittled a little bit. And I, I, I was trying to work within the cons, confines of the preference that she had of doing keto. So right. I was trying to work with that and like respect her wishes there. But it came out again that, you know, years ago, the one and only thing that helped her lose weight and decrease her cholesterol was when she did the Joel Furman diet, which is basically a plant-based diet. Right. And she did that for like six or eight weeks. She felt great. She lost some weight and her cholesterol went down. And then she she had that data point and she ignored it 
because she got sucked into the keto dogma Mm -hmm. and into that world where people are like, you don't need to worry about cholesterol. That's all a lie. And everybody should be doing intermittent fasting and keto every day of their lives. And it was like her body was screwed up. And finally, I just kind of convinced her to go back to eating more plant-based and it agreed with her body so much more. Like for her, that ended up being a much better template. And she was very crunchy. Like she would make like overnight oats and put all sorts of stuff in there. And she didn't completely remove animal protein from her diet. She just scaled way back. So she would have meat like a couple times a week. And she would have eggs a couple times a week. But, you know, she went from eating a ton of dairy Uh, quite a lot of meat and no grains, no legumes, Mm -hmm. and like not a lot of fruit either. And having like basically like meat and fat and veggies and, you know, watching Dr. Berg videos on YouTube and thinking that that's the best thing in the world that she could do. Meanwhile, she's gaining weight and her cholesterol shooting up like crazy. And Mm -hmm. the last time I checked in with her, her cholesterol was starting to come down. She's lost... 20 or 30 pounds, I think now, and she's feeling better and better. But there are people that like plant-based really, really agrees with. I don't think they're the majority, to be honest, but it's like the same problem ends up being true. She was sucked into the diet dogma and she was choosing to listen to the authority figure, quote unquote, instead of listening to her body and her experience with these different diets And really, her body was telling her what dietary template made the most sense for her years ago. She could have saved thousands of dollars on testing and visits with me and supplements and dietary stuff. She could have saved thousands of dollars if she had just listened to her body and done that Joel Furman diet for longer or like modified it a little bit and kept doing that. But she got sucked into the dogma and and like the oh, all carbs are evil kind of stuff. So it it goes both ways. But I imagine that that happens with plant-based eaters sometimes too. Like they know darn well that they felt more nourished when they eat some animal protein. But for whatever reason, they get sucked into the dogma. It happens to all of us. Yeah, I I definitely think that's really interesting. And and I do... um, think that people might fall more on a spectrum of like maybe being someone that is going to be more carb heavy heavy more plant-based but still need a certain level of protein and nutrients you can get animal wise versus someone that's kind of more on the they do a little bit better in the paleo like higher protein enough fat in some carbs like again i think that everyone's kind of falling on the spectrum there And sometimes if you feel better on one or the other, it's like, okay, you could still modify it to be somewhere in the middle of of where where it's at. Again, what's good enough? Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, I I think that this, (laughs) the key element here, I think, is just to make sure that you're still able to listen into your body. I know that I've heard some like vegan and vegetarians, I don't know if this ever happened to you. I don't remember us talking about it. Were you ever like craved meat? Is that anything ah. that's ever happened to I, you? I did not, but my mom did. So yeah. the long story short was um, my mom got a job at Cornell and Ithaca, New York is very crunchy. And when she started working at Cornell, one of her coworkers was a vegan and 
converted her. That's another element of all these diets that are weird. Like (laughs) if you can convince a friend or a family member to do the diet with you, if you can like convert them, you get extra cult points in your own mind, right? Like it's so satisfying if you can like convince somebody else to do Whole30 and become paleo with you or like do a cleanse or whatever. I don't know why that's so deeply satisfying, but that's another element of this that makes it really dangerous. But, Mm -hmm. uh, and imagine the power trip that like Instagrammers and celebrities go on when they convince thousands, if not millions of people to follow them on a diet. Right. Like, wow, that would go to your head. But the, um, the thing back in the day, so when I was 11, um, my mom, her coworker convinced her to go vegan because my mom wanted to lose weight. It was part of her weight loss kind of um, efforts. And she, she came home one day and she was like, Nick, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a vegetarian. I think she did vegetarian first and then vegan for a little while and then back to vegetarian. But anyway, she goes, Nick, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And that was the whole decision. But like, I didn't really care for me when I was a kid. I complained it was too much, too hard to chew. So that's another level of laziness in the lazy Olympics. I would be a gold medalist. Um, But I was just like, yeah, okay. And I was fine with it. Like I felt okay. I didn't really think much of it. My mom, probably after about five or six months, started to crave, in her words, blood. Oh my gosh. Like a rare hamburger, a rare steak, filet mignon, like anything with blood. She was like, bring it. I need it. And then finally, eventually she did go to her doctor and they were like, oh yeah, you're like really anemic. You need iron. And I'm pretty sure she like got a burger on the way home from that doctor's appointment. And she just, so she lasted about six months on that diet, give or take. And she almost immediately felt better when she started, you know, she ate like a burger or a steak like three days in a row. And she was like, I feel amazing. So I, I do know that that does happen because it happened to my mom. Right. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I, um, I think there's a, a lady in the health space. I think her name's Alexandra Jameson. She was like, a she was in the movie Super Size Me. Like her boyfriend was the guy who was in that movie. Okay. okay. And I, this is just super random. I remember her, she went vegan and was like a big vegan advocate for a while. And then she mm-hmm. started craving meat. Like that was like the, mm-hmm. her sort of telltale sign of when she like stopped eating vegan it's not necessarily Mm. that she went paleo or like to the other extreme but like she she had that sensation too and i've heard that from a number of of people as well is that sometimes there's that craving there and and again some women say in pregnancy they crave meat too because presumably you need more iron and you need more protein and the baby is going to tell you that so I've heard actually a number of pregnant women say that they crave meat and they crave like steak during their pregnancy. Yeah, I, I would say too, some like meats, if they're not like a consistent texture, ugh, like I had an aversion to it at the beginning, like chicken, mm-hmm. like a chicken leg or, or mm-hmm. wing or whatever, where you're kind of biting it and sometimes the texture. The leg and the weird. leg are very different, but okay. Right. Uh, no, well, like a drumstick. Is that Okay. A- yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's that's I would call that a leg. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. a drumstick. So I I would just bite into that and the, because sometimes the texture was different. Oh, that like really yeah. gave a little me a rubbery, little I, fatty. Right. I was fine after after that, but yeah, I 
I could see craving, but it it gives you an idea too of the body usually knows best. So if the body's kind of craving yeah. some of this stuff, definitely listening in can be helpful. However, are you ready for this? That was the perfect segue. So thank you for that. We're like, we're, our brains are wired together somehow. Um, the opposite can be true too. So your body might be misleading you or you might not understand the full picture without some other kind of opinions or objective data. I have seen many, many, many people who have digestive issues and they cut out meat or they cut way back on meat because they felt like they couldn't digest it. Mm. And then I come in and I'm like, well, that sounds like you have low stomach acid or you weren't chewing it enough or you were right. eating too quickly, but like that sounds more like a low stomach acid thing for from my standing. Why don't we see if we can reincorporate some meat and get you digesting it better? But all these people interpret it as, oh, I feel like indigestion and I feel like the mm. food's sitting in my gut like a brick of lead. It's not right. agreeing with me. Therefore, the food is bad for me. Therefore, I'm going to cut it out. It's like, no, 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 no. Support your body and you'll be able to digest that food just fine. So yeah, there's like, it. it's so tricky. It's really, really hard to navigate this on your own. And, you know, it's like the woman who did great on the Joel, Joel Furman diet and, and was feeling worse on keto. Like that was a good example of like, she felt better and she was losing weight and her, her markers were normalizing on the one diet and they got worse on the other diet. That was a really clear cut, like, listen to your body <laughs> situation. Right. But the people who cut out meat because they think it's bad for them and they can't digest it, but they actually just have digestive insufficiency, that could easily be interpreted as, oh, this diet doesn't agree with me, but it's actually your body saying that it needs help. Right. And I wonder if that would happen less frequently if there wasn't also this like background dogma bullshit assumption that meat is inflammatory and it's hard to digest because that is pervasive in the world still, unfortunately. I think it might even be like a throwback from like the 90s and early 2000s when plant-based eating was was quite big. But like, I know I have had patients tell me that meat is bad for you because it rots in your colon. And I've had people say that it's hard to digest, even without symptoms of the low stomach acid thing. I've had people just inform me that meat is very hard to digest. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay. And I even recently this week, the friend in Florida that I've mentioned a bunch of times, I feel like you all know her, her by this point, but... Um, friend in Florida has been very sick with like POTS, Gillian Beret, like weirdness, autonomic problems for seven or eight months now. Um, just literally like two days ago, she messaged me on Marco Polo and she was like, yeah, I'm going to have a meeting today with my functional neurologist and my functional medicine guy. And I think I need, I think I'm going to go vegan for 30 days. I think I just need to cut out anything inflammatory and I'm going to do like a cleanse and I'm going to go vegan for 30 days. And I basically told her, I was like, we literally just talked about this on the last podcast episode that we recorded that you need protein to be able to heal and you're going to have a much harder time hitting that. And I told her, I was like, you don't eat inflammatory stuff. But I think with her, like knowing her, and I talk to her almost every day, 
knowing her stuff, she also said that since they came back from their trip to Michigan to work with the functional neurologist and they don't have childcare for their son anymore. So it's just like they're managing the three-year-old and her health issues and her husband works. It's like, um, she said that they've been overindulging on like convenience foods and sugar and they'll get like the organic seven ingredient cookie dough or whatever, like gluten-free, dairy-free, everything free cookie dough, but it's still cookie dough. And she's like, yeah, we're overindulging on some sugar and some processed foods and we've got to cut it out. And it's like, you could, you could just do like 30 days of no sugar, right? Like you don't have to take it to the extreme of cutting out an entire food group and an entire like macronutrient practically. Like if you want to do like a sugar detox of sorts, then then do it. Like you don't need to follow a dietary template to achieve that goal. But I think, and I told her this too, and I shared this, I said, I think that you're craving like a set of rules or a structure. Mm. And I think also there is a degree of she doesn't trust her body anymore because Mm. she has felt broken for so long now. And I think that she would feel more comfortable placing that trust in an external thing. Right. And like, oh, the background kind of assumption of, oh, meat is inflammatory and it's hard to digest. Therefore, I'm going to go vegan for a month. And I was just like, no, for the love of God, don't do it. Like, stop. No, just tell your husband, we are doing 30 days, no sugar, end of story. Do not bring sugar into this house. And just like, do that. (laughs) It's so much easier. And you don't risk all of these wackadoo nutritional deficiencies if you just like figure out what what you're actually trying to eliminate. Like if you similarly, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Similarly, if you're eating a standard American diet and you're like, oh, I eat way too much fast food. I'm going to go vegan. There, right. Therefore, I won't be able to do fast food. And it's like, you could literally just make a rule for yourself and be like, nope, no more fast food. No not doing it. No more Chick-fil-A, no more McDonald's, no more whatever. And that's just the new rule. And I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat like more whole foods and I'm going to try to cook more at home. And I'm just going to make that a hard no. Like you can do that without going vegan or paleo or keto or carnivore or whatever else. Like, but you know, it's like people get into these template diets where it's so much more restrictive than it actually needs to be in order to achieve the goal that they're really going for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, again, I, I think, you know, from the protein digestion standpoint, I'm glad you brought up to like the HCL scenario. I do think, you know, I have worked with people and again, this isn't necessarily the problem with vegetarian, the problem that vegetarian vegans have at all, but I have worked with people where I had a client who is a little bit more into like, not necessarily bodybuilding, but she does some fitness competitions Um, and so like sometimes if she pushed her protein too high, she did notice like, "Mm, I didn't feel as good if my protein got to this level, but I feel better when my protein's between 120 and 130 grams. But if I'm pushing it to like 150 or higher, I just don't feel as good, even though that was kind of the macro she was experimenting with. Um, and I, I think too... Um, 
protein does require more calories to break down. I don't necessarily think it's like something that's way harder to digest, but I, I also think like I wonder a little bit about sort of the vicious cycle you can get caught into if your digestion's just like not great overall and then you lower intake altogether and then kind of stomach acid suffers and yeah. then what kind of do you feel most of a problem with when you have low stomach acid is not really feeling great with protein. So it can be yeah. just this whole vicious cycle that can compound on itself to where like, okay, you need a certain level of calories um, for digestion and motility to operate smoothly. And again, that includes things like HCL. So, you know, if protein's like a problem, making sure again, you're, you're getting enough nutrition in general can be really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's so much to unpack with this. And I'm going to laugh at you publicly right now, by the way, because when we got on this episode, you said this will be a shorty. No, nine times out of 10, when we anticipate it's going to be a short episode, it's not, but there's so much to unpack here. And, and I think it's really worthwhile, assuming that we have even one vegan listening to the rest of this episode now. But again, I, I think that really like, kind of the overarching like what now scenario, if you're a vegetarian, or if you're a vegan, or you're thinking about doing one of those diets, and you're listening to us right now, here's kind of the eagle eye perspective I want to share. First off, ask yourself, what is my goal? And what are my background beliefs? in making that decision. Is it ethical? Like you don't want to kill animals? Do you know, is it because you intrinsically think that meat is unhealthy or bad for you? Because I would share that I don't think that's really true. Um, again, that website rawfoodsos.com actually did a really good job of breaking down like the flaws in the China study, mm -hmm. and how th a lot of the research that proves quote unquote, that meat is bad for you, actually was deeply flawed. So I think that that hopefully we we kind of deflated a little bit. Um, but ask like, what are your goals in doing this kind of a diet? Like if you're trying to, you know, if you don't want to kill the animals, as an example, and it's more of a like ethical kind of dilemma, um, you could still like have seafood and bivalves. Like I know Denise Minger mentions this on that tab of the website I mentioned, like bivalves don't really have a brain. As far as we're aware, they don't perceive pain, but they're a really great source of protein and iron. And it might just be, okay, you're a vegetarian or you're a vegan, but you have like clam chowder once a week, or you have clams or seafood or something, you know, once a week or whatever it is. And that'll be a good source of zinc and iron and all the things. So you could usually find some non-vegan kind of workarounds, even within the goal. Um, if it's, you know, if it's like a texture issue, because I've had people say that too, like they're repulsed by the thought of eating meat and it's like a texture and like the blood and like, ugh. okay, what about collagen peptides? Like mm. that way you get some animal-based protein, but you don't have to deal with the texture and like the thought of munching on a piece of carcass, right? Like, if that's not appealing to you. Um, they also make collagen peptides from a, a fish base also. So you could get that similarly if you're going to do fish or seafood. Um, 
And again, if you're trying to do a vegetarian or plant-based diet with the hopes of getting healthier, ask yourself, do you need to do, like, do you need to go to that extreme to achieve that goal? Like, could you look at your current diet and just add more fiber to your existing diet and not drop out a whole food group and still achieve the same goal? Probably the answer is yes. And you'll still achieve the goal that you are going for. So it's like, evaluate what your goal is. And again, be mindful of your background beliefs and like any dogma that you might have gotten looped into. And then use some combination of nutrition tracking. Like we have plugged repeatedly on this podcast. They need to sponsor us. The Chronometer app, like use the Chronometer app or something similar and get at least a ballpark of what you're what you're getting, like honest to goodness, do not be the jerk like me who assumes that I must be healthy if I'm doing this diet. Ha ha ha. Like just track it, put your money where your mouth is. It's a free app. Just use the app, see if your assumption is true. And if it's not, then you could do something about it. And then last but not least, I would say, if everything is still checking out, you're like, huh, these two ladies are crazy. I'm doing a-okay then go ahead and get some blood work done and just check on some of the nutrients that we mentioned that are difficult to get. Like if you do a cop metabolic panel, you'll be able to see bun and protein and that'll give you kind of a very rough ballpark maybe of your your nutritional intake there. Um, you can check the CBC and iron and ferritin to get a sense of what your iron looks like. You can check vitamin B12. Um, you can even check vitamin A in blood work, I order that moderately frequently through LabCorp and they pair it with beta carotene. So again, you're checking the bias. If you're sitting there saying, I can just eat carrots and I'll get all the vitamin A I need. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. If you run that blood work through LabCorp and you see beta carotene and vitamin A both measured side by side, you will see that sometimes it's not super common. It's maybe like five or 10% of people but sometimes you'll find that your beta carotene is nice and high and your vitamin A still sucks. Those are the people who need to eat honest to goodness real vitamin A from like fish liver or cod liver oil or like eggs or something that has preformed vitamin A in it. But again, like you wouldn't know that unless you get some objective testing and you kind of check your own bias. So that's my executive summary for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I, I like that summary. I think the only other thing, the only thing I would definitely add is again like i think you can make a vegetarian and vegan diet totally work so i don't want to like say that i'm totally we're totally poo-pooing that here and i don't think we did but again you can make it work i would work very closely with a dietitian or with someone that can actually monitor some of these things if that's Mm -hmm. something that you want to do at least for a period of time um Mm -hmm. someone that's going to really look into your nutrition I mean, if you're going to like a functional medicine doctor and they're just like, oh, eat this, eat low FODMAP and vegan or something. If you start stacking all the the diets on top of each other, that can be even more problematic. Um, But again, really probably working with a dietitian or someone that's going to look really closely at some of these nutritional issues that can come up on a vegan and vegetarian diet, I believe is really important. It doesn't mean that you have to do it forever, but just trying to make sure that your bases are covered if yeah. you want to continue doing that is is really critical um and again just getting a sense of that i think's important um so i just wanted to throw that into the to the executive summary as well yeah 
Yeah. And that's actually a really good point too, because again, like all of us have biases, all of us have blind spots, all of us make assumptions. And if you, if you get another brain on the case, chances are that will give you another perspective. Now I will say though, to kind of play devil's advocate on this, if you are the person who seeks out specific dietitians who only work with vegans, they're likely to suffer from the same brain lesions that you do. And therefore you're not going to get a different perspective, right? Like I understand if you don't want to go to the dietitian who like specializes in carnivore, if you are currently a vegan, I get that that won't be a good match, but you probably just want to find like a general dietitian who's, who specializes in like women's health or weight loss or just general like dietetics rather than seeking out somebody specifically who's going to align with this belief. Because again, the whole purpose or half the purpose of working with somebody else is to get a different perspective and check your own biases and put them in the backseat for a while. And I have had people like it comes up pretty frequently, actually, whenever somebody is following a particular diet, they will specifically ask me like, are you going to make me change this? And I'm always honest. And I tell them like, like, I'm not going to make you do anything, but um, I can try to respect your um, your preference and work with that to the best of my ability. But if I think it's not serving you, I, I am obligated to eventually pipe up about that, right? right? Like the dude where I was like, look, bro, we need to do this. Like, it would be unethical if I did not say something. And I just, right. you know, entertained that regardless of what I was seeing. So that's my happy medium is like, I'll work with vegetarians and vegans. I am pretty transparent from the beginning that it's really, really difficult to get certain nutrients. And you have to be really diligent and mindful and on top of your game if you're going to make it work. And it's it's way more of a headache than if you were just to have a burger every now and then, to be honest right. with you. Right. Um, but I'll try to work with it and be respectful of that to the best of my ability. And if it's no longer in your best interest from a health perspective, I'm obligated to tell you that. Right. But like I said, if you like work with the Instagram vegan model who, you know, the, 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 or the person who works with all of the vegans from your vegan meetup and all of the vegans recommend this one dietitian, like that's, that's kind of a red flag. I would actually seek out somebody else. Right. Right. And also I would not go to a functional medicine doctor specifically for nutrition, not in this instance. They will tell you they do nutrition, but they don't know it to the depth of what Amy and I have described and like what a dietitian would do. Yeah. I mean, again, like I feel like, and again, there could be, I don't want to totally stereotype, but I would say most of the functional medicine doctors work or what I see from clients coming to me from the functional medicine space is more about you need to eat this particular way of this particular diet, try this out, but not necessarily about looking at what that actually means nutritionally or looking at the composition of the diet to make sure you're replete in different things. Um, yeah. And again, I, I think that that's so critical um, for so many reasons, but because you could be doing everything right on a low FODMAP diet and still not be getting better and... Mm-hmm. Uh, for a number of reasons that you that could be going wrong. But I think, again, like, same thing with vegan. You could feel like you're doing everything right. 
Um, and you might be again like eating primarily fruits and vegetables or eating like in a in a better vegan way versus like what you were describing the forks over knives examples. Right. Like you might be eating a really nutrient dense diet, but there still could be big gaps and you just don't yeah. want to miss these things um, because they can really keep you stuck for a long period yeah. of time if you have these blind spots and everyone has blind spots in their case. It's not just vegetarian and vegan. So it's just really I'll important. Do. Yeah. It's just important if you, if you want to kind of pursue that, that way of eating that you're looking for someone that can help you isolate the blind spots and make corrections appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to reiterate, we are all human and we all have blind spots. We all have biases. We all have brain lesions as I call them. And, you know, I'll share like a laughable example from my own personal life recently. Um, And I haven't shared this with you, Amy. So hi, my name is Nikki and I'm an addict. Can you guess what what group I'm I'm introducing myself at? Um, Chocoholics Anonymous. Okay. Okay. Oh god. I was gonna I say have, chocolate, have, but you beat me to it. I have proclaimed my love of dark chocolate many a times on this podcast. And you know, my little bias and my little hope, every time I have my couple squares of dark chocolate, is like well, A, it's not so bad for me, right? Like, it's not like a Twinkie. Come on. Right. But also, but also, I've rationalized, well, dark chocolate has some magnesium, and that's good for you. And it's good to enjoy your food, and that's good for you. And, you know, it, it's it's not that bad. Well, so admittedly, for, for longer than I want to admit, my like, oh, I'll have like a little bit here and there has been, I'll have two squares of like this big Trader Joe's brick of chocolate every day. And the thing is, I never overindulge in the moment. Like I can genuinely have two squares and walk away. And I'm I'm happy with that. But the cumulative effect of basically of eating candy, I'm just going to call it what it is. The cumulative effect of having a little bit of candy every single day, I am aware is probably dumb and not ideal. And I think I'm a little bit of a crack addict in this regard. So I decided randomly recently, like maybe a week, week and a half ago, I was like, you know what? I need to get a grip. I'm I'm just going to cut out the chocolate and I'm not going to have chocolate. And I'm going to give it like a month, right? Because I will admit, I have like eight or 10 pounds of COVID weight from last two years that I would like to trim off. It's not the worst. It's not the best. And I'm six feet tall. So I carry the weight decently well, but like, I have a little bit more of a tummy than I want right now. And I'm just like, okay, it's time. It's time. Like between the stress and overindulging in chocolate and, and whatever else from the last two years, I'm like, all right, it's time. But I'm not, I'm currently not willing to put in a lot of other effort in my life. Like I don't really want to change the rest of my nutrition at this time. And I don't really want to take up like a really intense exercise regimen at the moment. So I was just like, all right, this is like one easy thing that I can manipulate. I'm basically eating candy every day. So that's kind of dumb. Anyway, I'm going to get more of a grip on the chocolate thing because I think it's a little bit too much of an addiction. And I kid you not. So I made this decision. No, I take it back. It was about a week ago. I think it was like Tuesday of last week I decided to do this. And then this morning I got on the scale because I was like, surely I have lost some weight. None. Yeah. Not a pound. But I laughed at myself because I was like, 
of course you got on the scale and expected it to look miraculous in right. one week of right. one week of changing some changing something pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. Like I've done nothing else and I hopped on. I was like, surely I've lost five pounds by now. No, but like we all have brain lesions. Like I know that that's silly and dumb, but I still did it. And then I laughed at myself because I was like, oh yeah, that was probably unrealistic. Oh my gosh. It is what it is. <sighs> Human brains are weird, wonderful things. True. They're all unique. Very true. Yeah. So I'll have to, I'll keep you posted on my chocolate addiction. Rehab. Yeah. I had to hide my own chocolate. I mean, I know where it is, but I put it kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's under it's under lock and key. I feel like if you gave it to Jess to, to ration, she would be really good. No, 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 no. Because she's more of a chocoholic than I am. Okay. So she would okay. obliterate the entire bar in a day. Okay. So no. Um, well, then my- it would just be done with, you know? True. But that, see, that's the weird thing, though. Like, it's oddly comforting to know that that chocolate is in the house. Right. Like, I don't know why, but it's it's like kind of soothing to know that if I really had a craving, I could go get that bar. So right. I don't really like having none in the house, oddly enough. It's easier for me to not feel deprived if it's at least in the house. I know that's backwards, but um, I'm, I'm like pretty good at moderating in that regard, but Likewise, I can't give it to my husband because he is like a search and destroy missile when it comes to sugar of any kind. And he would eat it all too. He wouldn't eat it in one day like my child would, but he would eat it in like a week and be like, yeah, I don't know where the bar went. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So yeah, I need to just hide it on myself. When, When I lived with my best friend in chiropractic school, she was a, a little addict for like fruity, sugary, chewy kind of things like Starburst and gummy worms and that sort of stuff. But she doesn't particularly love chocolate that much. I'm a chocoholic, but like you could put a plate of gummy worms in front of me and I do not care about them at all. Right. Like I might nibble the head off of one just kind of for funsies and I'm like, "Eh, I'm over it and I'm done. Um, So we would swap like she hid my chocolate and I hid her gummy worms and shit from her. And that worked great. And we would just like ration for each other. Like, hey, man, I want a piece of chocolate. Will you go get me one from the hiding place? And she'd be like, yeah, cool. That worked great until we developed an ant problem because I kept her sugary goodness in my sock drawer. And there was a line of ants going from the kitchen down the hallway, up my dresser and into my sock drawer. And I still remember my now husband, that boyfriend was visiting for the weekend and we came home from the beach or whatever it was. And, and we walked past and we see this trail of ants and I was like, Oh, oh. and I got, I grabbed the 409 and I just sprayed them all with 409. Oh. I murdered all of them. He was like, you're kind of going overboard. I was like, I don't care. And then oh yeah, I had to move the candy stash. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I was repulsed. You're the the adventures of uh college Chocoholic. uh Cairo College Nikki. I know, I know. There there are more for sure to share, but uh I will I will close this out with one one uh, other share that comes to mind that I almost forgot to include in this episode. Would you like to know and I might have shared this already, but like play along for the listeners. Would you like to know why I ended up adding meat back in my diet? 
Why was that? That, thank you. Thank you for playing along. Um, so again, I was a vegetarian for 11 years and I felt fine. And I thought I was doing good. I, I was a-okay. I never questioned it. But the thing was, is that the end of that for me was my gut health struggle. Mm, and it wasn't yeah. like, ah, I need more protein and nutrition. It was actually, I, I've shared it. I've joked before, like I did AIP before it was called AIP. I just kept restricting more and more. As I did more elimination diets and I cut more stuff out of my diet, I started to get the very real realization of, oh, I have nothing left. Right. <laughs> like, I can't have this preference of being a vegetarian and also cut out gluten and dairy and eggs and soy and corn and eventually nightshades and eventually nuts and seeds. And like, like after a certain point, it was like, okay, what do I eat? Like I literally needed to incorporate meat again. And I did it very gently. It started with like a nibble of turkey on Thanksgiving and just right. kind of gradually over several months, I got used to the idea of eating meat again. But it, it was like, I knew on some level, even though I hadn't had any nutrition classes at that point, I didn't really know a ton about nutrition necessarily, but like I had some gut feeling of like, I don't know what to eat anymore. And I'm listening to all these functional medicine people tell me that gluten is bad and dairy is bad and soy is bad and corn and eggs and nightshades and all of these things are bad and inflammatory and my gut is getting worse and worse and worse. So I, I feel like I need to restrict my diet more and more but I'm running out of foods to eat. Therefore, I feel like I could wrap my head around eating chicken. Like for probably the first year, I just did like chicken and turkey. And that was kind of it. It probably took me yeah. about a year to eat like a burger or a steak. And it wasn't until my then boyfriend, now husband, cooked it on the grill for me. Because I wasn't really into the idea of cooking it myself. But right. That was kind of how it progressed. And I think probably a lot of listeners listening to this podcast right now have found themselves in similar situations where they're combining different diets, they're combining different restrictive elements, and they're having this feeling of like, I don't know what else to eat. And for me, it was like, all the other restriction that I was doing was in the name of health. Spoiler, it didn't really help all that much, but I thought it would. But like, all of this was for my health. And for like feeling better. And this one was a preference. Therefore, the preference was the one that had to go for me. So for what it's worth, that's how that's how it happened for me. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that's that's potentially, I would say, how a lot of people going into the gut health space get off vegetarian and vegan. Cause it's like mm -hmm. if beans then are off the table and yeah. some of these other protein sources maybe yeah. dairy doesn't sit well with you or something like that again like or heaven forbid soy right like, soy, soy is soy in everything well. especially vegan products right, right. Yeah. so like if that doesn't seem to sit well like you're limiting basically all the protein sources for vegan and vegetarian that are vegan and vegetarian it's going to be really hard to meet your needs and i think that a lot of people get pushed more into that corner and it might help them yeah. open up their comfort zone a little bit more yeah yep I, I think so. But uh, but guys, again, assuming that there's like one vet, vegetarian or vegan listening right now, all the way to the end of the episode, thank you for being open-minded enough to listen to this conversation. Again, we tried to make it so it wasn't scary or mean. 
hopefully we achieve that goal, but we're just trying to have a real conversation and help you guys as much as we can. So thank you for listening. Amy's having a jamboree over there with her microphone doing God knows I, I what. Just, I just accidentally <laughs> hit it with my knuckle. I'm sorry. Darn it, Amy. Um, but as knuckle. always, as always, you know the drill, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, do all the things, follow us on Instagram. We're everywhere. We're on the internet. And we will see you on the next episode of the IBS Rena podcast. Until then, take care. Take care.